Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox. Hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. Hi, I'm Dan Dresner, and in space, everyone can hear you shower. Welcome to Space the Nation, where we talk about science fiction through the lens of politics and international relations. And we lose track of time. We're sorry about that. Very sorry. Before we get started with our discussion of For All Mankind, we have to apologize for spacing. I couldn't not say it <laughs> on our AMA last week. And in my defense, you also forgot. Yes. Sorry, Bob. That's all I can say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we both spaced on this and we promised to make it up with an AMA on June 12th, which will be by the time our patrons listen to this tomorrow. And by the time non-patrons listen to this will have already happened. So you don't need to pay attention to it. Or you can uh, join for ne- the next AMA, which we, we will do on time. Yes, we, yes, we shall. And speaking of the future, uh, our upcoming shows will look at Naomi Alderman's The Power. We will have a schlock or awe episode of Fantasy Island. Uh, We're going to look at the trouble with Tribbles, I think. And we have many other ideas, but we are also taking suggestions. We hit over 100 patrons kind of a long time ago now. (laughs) (laughs) And we had a vote about what y'all wanted to talk about on a patrons-only episode, and that is 28 Days Later, which we will record before we hit 250 patrons. Yes, I promise, because it's 250 is our next benchmark where we'll do another patrons-only episode. But we will get that done. I, I will even be more aggressive. We will get that done before the end of the month or before we hit 250, whichever comes first. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and why would you want to become a patron besides getting access to these episodes? You get to participate in our AMAs. Uh, you get early access to regular episodes. And we also have a really cool Discord channel where nerds like you and me talk about a lot of other things besides what we talk about here. And you become a patron by going to patreon.com slash space the nation. And right now we are still using that money to pay Karen, our engineer, who has a newish puppy now, I guess she's he's not exactly new, but Arwen, um, we're putting the puppy chow in Arwen's bowl. I mean, Arwen's getting bigger. Arwen's got a bigger appetite. There's more puppy right. chow involved. That's now. right. So, you know, yeah. So, Dan, would you like to introduce what we're talking about today? I would be happy to. So we are going to be talking about uh, For All Mankind, particularly season one, episodes four through six. We're going to talk a little bit about the first season in general, but this is a show on Apple TV that premiered in 2019. The second season, I believe, dropped earlier this year. uh, And there is a third season planned, I think. Mm -hmm. We are doing this because much like when NASA chooses how to build a rocket and tries to sort of farm out the subcontractors along every congressional district, we here at Space the Nation are willing to cater to our powerful lobbies. In this case, our patrons, as we have said before. They have made this request, and uh, we thought, okay, we we were potentially into this, and we watched, indeed, uh, the pilot episode of For All Mankind in a sort of Discord, you know, sort of simulcast, I guess, that we did. Watch party. Uh, Yes, launch party. Thank you. Also, there is another reason, which is, to be honest, uh, the last two episodes we did Kindred uh, by Octavia Butler and then Children of Men, the movie. And we kind of needed something a little upbeat. I mean, those two are dark, man. (laughs) And also complete transparency. Well, let's say semi-transparency. I binge watched both seasons a couple weeks ago and fell in love. (laughs) I was already already had a crush on Joel Kinnaman, who's pretty much the lead, I think, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is still a male lead, and I really want an excuse to talk about it, because the show is really good. I have the text from Anna to prove that she was really (laughs) into the show, just to be clear. (laughs) We have to document this. And it's a really good show. There are problems with it. I think they are interesting problems. We will probably talk about some of them. (laughs) And we're going to talk about that specific set of episodes, which was an arc uh, suggested in the Discord. And having seen it twice now, I 
think you could call it intro to the lady astronauts <laughs> alternatively ice ice baby oh i like ice ice baby much better i think that's that that works all right um, we will now get to the story behind the story which is going to be anna learning about <laughs> and and interesting and i i will say this is i think honestly one of for all mankind's greatest strengths which is this is an alternative history which we'll talk about in a little bit but i think one of the the best aspects of it is that in doing the alternative history it actually uncovers some history that not many people knew about Huh? Yeah, and if, if you haven't actually seen the show and you're just listening to this podcast for a pleasure, I guess we should just say For All Mankind is about the American space program if the Russians had gotten to the moon first. Right. It is that difference that then, well, I would actually say, so the t there are two things that are significantly different, right? It's the Russians get to the moon first and they mm -hmm. put a woman on the moon first. That is And those yes. two changes like a domino out into all kinds of interesting other changes. They, right. they also and make other changes along the margin. Or I shouldn't say along the margin. They make other big changes. <laughs> there are other big changes that happen in terms of, of alternative history, which we will get to a little bit later. The other thing I will say is that we are, you know, I think only going to be revealing spoilers about season one. We yeah. will be recording a separate podcast about season two sometime in the future. So, yes, there was a Mercury 13. There were 13 women who went through the training to be trained as astronauts. That was a real program. Interestingly, and this is not something they say on the show, it was a private program. It was not government funded. It was funded by William Lovelace, who was a pioneer in aeronautical, aeronautical. aeronautical medicine, who also distinguished, distinguished pilot himself. And he privately funded, along with a couple of other people, this experiment to see in how women Including, would do. most importantly, his wife, yes? His wife, but also a female pilot named Jacqueline Cochran, who right. he met early on, like the, the many years before that, they'd been friend for, friends for decades. And she was, they were all very rich. Let's just, mm -hmm. <laughs> all these people were very wealthy. I think early aeronautics pioneers tended to be so. Much like the Elon Musks <laughs> and Jeff Bezoses of the current, you know. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. so they had the money to do this, and he did it privately, and they actually met higher standards than the Mercury, like, seven. Um, they had to have mm -hmm. a college degree and had to f have flown more hours. Mm -hmm. And then the other real thing is Molly Cobb. Well, not Molly. No, Molly, not Molly Cobb, yes. But Jerry Cobb, who one of these episodes is dedicated to. Yes. And she is a pistol in much the <laughs> same way that Molly Cobb is. I guess also I wanted to say about the trainees, they were called flats and not ass cans. Uh, first lady astronaut trainees. <laughs> I'm not, so I got to tell you, I think ass cans is actually a better, you know, I do like, too. Was going I on. do too. I don't yeah. like lady in there. Yeah. Um, they, they did lose access to the official training facilities and that's why they couldn't continue their training. Mm -hmm. And it is, I'm going to, there's going to be some stuff in this little history that is so unbelievably sexist <laughs> and it wasn't that long ago the yeah. air force official position was they didn't have uniforms for them so they couldn't train as astronauts and they weren't qualified as military pilots at the time you had to be qualified as a military pilot right it should be pointed out that the it, the origins of nasa it was Eisen under the eisenhower administration eisenhower decided and they were actually like speculating do they go for extreme athletes what who, who becomes an astronaut and it was eisenhower decided that he wanted test pilots and since at that point test pilots could only be men that was the sort of convenient way in which women were blocked from joining the astronaut program there was a lot of lobbying afterwards after the program got canned 
by Molly, sorry, I'm killing her Molly Cobb, by yeah. Jerry Cobb, among others. It's uh, LBJ that put an end to it, just like was like, nope, not going to do it anymore. I will add that the first all-female spacewalk that NASA did was canceled for lack of uniforms, for lack of spacesuits. And Dan, I know you've seen the script, but did you guess that the first all-female spacewalk would have been two years ago? No, I actually would not ago? have guessed that. I, I assumed it was going to be earlier than that. The other thing I would point out is that it's not just that Johnson, in the end, vetoes the idea. It's that, you know, he, he vetoes it in, an only, in a way that LB, only LBJ yeah. can. <laughs> and that one of his, I believe, women staffers sort of yep. essentially wrote a memo to Johnson saying, look, this is a good idea. We should consider this. Let's, you know, push this further. And, and in part, good idea. I want to point out that yes. this is Lovelace's innovation. He thought women might be better suited for space because right. they have lighter frames. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Johnson wrote on the top of the memo, let's drop this now or something to that effect. Like it was clear he was not having any. Of it. So just a couple more things about Jerry Cobb. She's the only one of the Mercury 13 that did go on to work for NASA. Mm -hmm. After her career at NASA, she had a 30 year long career doing humanitarian flights to South America where she also set records in flying. I mean, she just total badass, really. And uh, after John Glenn went into space, like that was in the 90s, I think. Yes, to be clear, John Glenn went into the space went into space in the 60s, right. obviously. Yes. But he also went in as a senator ostensibly to study aging in space. And yes, then... Uh, and uh, there was a big push to have Jerry Cobb go because right. she's same age <laughs> why don't we see how it affects women's yeah. aging in space and she was denied yet again two more little bits uh one on the russian program and women there was a female cosmonaut valentina mm -hmm. tereshkova who went into space on june 1963 they did use this as an opportunity to talk about how the americans are actually very discriminatory and bigoted mm -hmm. like they like to use a lot of problems that we have as PR points. I don't know if there were a lot of other women after her. I couldn't find a lot of mentions. So we might actually have done a little better in that regard. One of the women who actually was in the space program, of course, was Sally Ride. Um, I suspect that Ellen is loosely based on Sally Ride. Right, the character of Ellen... Weaver. Weaver, right? yes, yes, yes. So in part because Sally Ride was a lesbian who was not out during her career at NASA. And she married one of her fellow astronauts, who I, I will not say if it was exactly the same kind of marriage, but perhaps had some, some of the same uh, motives, let's say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she was such a private person, her, it was not revealed that she had a female partner until she died. Yeah, I don't think I honestly knew this until reading the script. I was yeah. not, that's, how, that's how little I realized that. And I think she actually even has sort of maybe the personality of Ellen. And um, I will be done now. There is more that could be said. <laughs> I, oh, I, yes, last thing. Sorry, I promise, last thing. <laughs> when Sally Ride was getting ready to go into space, there was a press conference. Dan, I'm going to tell you two of the questions that they asked at this press conference. Okay. Are you ready? I am ready. I'll <laughs> pretend to be Sally Ride. No, no, no. These no, are actual on. questions okay. asked at an actual press conference in 1983. Okay. Will the flight affect your reproductive organs? <laughs> Do you think they asked that of the male astronauts? Because as far as I know, men also have reproductive organs. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, in fact, do, Anna. I'm glad you asked me that. Uh, I can confirm. Yeah. Um, okay. But All right. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. 
And the and the other question that was asked mm-hmm. at a real press conference <laughs> that is supposedly about space and space exploration. Do you weep when things go wrong on the job? <laughs> You know, it's fitting that you ask me this question or you, you reproduce <laughs> these questions. Uh, in Dan, these... Dan, 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 do you weep when they go wrong on job? I will neither confirm nor deny <laughs> those allegations, Anna. But all I will say is, is that suddenly Naomi Osaka's decision to, uh, you know, withdraw from the French Open because of the dealing with the, the press, post-match yeah. press conferences, uh, you know, suddenly that seems grounded a little more in history. Let's put it that way. I mean, Dan, <laughs> like a whole separate podcast, although we are going to cover some mental health issues in this particular podcast, too. I'm excited to we talk are. about those. Yes, We should get into the actual story we're going to be talking about. And Dan, it is your job to take us through the plot. Right. So just to be clear, I'm going to be, we're going to mostly be talking about episodes four through six. But in this first part, I'm just going to give you the backstory. In the world of For All Mankind, history starts to diverge, as Anna said, from our own in June 1969. The Soviet Union shocks the world by becoming the first country to send a man to the moon, three weeks ahead of Apollo 11. Soon after Apollo 11, which ended in almost near disaster in the show, but actually does succeed, the USSR sends another mission uh, that lands on the moon with a female cosmonaut. The Nixon White House is paranoid that the Soviets are planning a permanent moon base and therefore wants the U.S. to win, quote, the race for the base, end quote. These events force NASA to take more risks in their approach to space exploration than they had so far. A lot of the accusations that emerge is essentially that NASA had become too risk-averse after the Apollo 1 uh, disaster that killed Gus Grissom, among others. So on orders from Nixon, NASA's Deke Slayton recruits women into the astronaut training program, including Tracy, the wife of philandering, perennially drunk-off-his-ass astronaut Gordon Stevens. One of the women, not Tracy, uh, <laughs> dies, <laughs> that's important, uh, yeah. dies in a test flight, casting a pall in the program akin to the real-life accident of Apollo 1. Anna, as, as we've talked about, as alternative histories go, I was impressed at how much this one borrowed so much from actual history. They referenced the Mercury 3, 13 program, which I had never heard of before watching this show. And indeed, I didn't even think about it until they dedicated the episode to Jerry Cobb. It caused me to look up what happened and realize that Molly Cobb on the, the, the show is clearly based on Jerry Cobb in real person. The other amazing thing is that there mm-hmm. is a scene in the show in which John Glenn, who at this point is you know, left the astronaut program, but is sort of, you know, gift or America's gift to the astronaut program, walks into Deke Slayton's office and says, men go off and fight the wars and fly the airplanes. And the fact that women are not on in this field is a fact of our social order, which I thought, oh, come on. There's no way Glenn would say that, except Glenn actually said those words in a congressional hearing about the Mercury 13 program in Congress in the 1960s. So did you know any of this stuff before we watch this? Dan, that entire history I unpacked, I learned... Over the past few days. <laughs> and American history, 20th century American history, was indeed the thing I was going to get a doctorate in. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't focused on the space program, but still, it, this is very much hidden history. Yeah, That phrase, hidden, makes me think of Hidden Figures, which is the book and movie that came out not too long ago about right. the black women who who served as computers, computers which, right. which they, by, by which they meant women who compute. Right. Literally no, mathematical kinda, calculators. Yeah, yes. I kind of missed as an opportunity in this show. You know, I mean, the Danny is well. Is Danny is one, one of the form. Yeah, Danny but, is clearly one of them, right? I mean, yeah, I don't know. But it's I, kinda, let me put it this way: what it points out is that I think I, I kind of wondered the extent, at least our generation, 
our knowledge of the space program is in all likelihood grounded on three facts, or not facts per se, but sort of three things. The right stuff, the movie, yep. Apollo 13, the movie, and then, of course, the Challenger explosion, which I think up until 9-11 was sort of the fundamental defining thing that like our generation experienced. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, in fact, one of the things that's alternate in this history is, I believe, the degree to which America continues its fascination with the space program. Right. And so, again, like one of the show. Because takes, I, I think, yeah. there, you know, there was a period like 70s, mm-hmm. I guess. You're a little bit older than me. I'm not sure. Yeah, I am. So I'm, you know, coming of age. I was one of the children watching Challenger. Right. <laughs> And that was kind of it, in a way. I feel like the culture of caution maybe took over again, because I don't really have a memory of of space being a huge deal kind of ever again. So my memory is that, like, you know, I I have no memory of the the moon landings. I was still too young. And then my first sort of NASA memory is the... Columbia launch in 1981. That was the first space shuttle. And it seemed kind of cool that it was a spacecraft you could yeah. reuse. Because like that that was not true of the Gemini or Apollo or Mercury missions. Um, Gemini. Gemini, yes. <laughs> is that like, I'm sorry, that was another little thing. Like I was, I should have put that in the... I don't think that's alternate. I think they actually called it that. It's called a Gemini? Okay. I, but yeah. like, I always thought, say Gemini. Am I wrong in yeah. that? I, I know they discussed it in the Discord. That's the only reason I know that's actually what they called it. Okay. But yeah, I think this is an interesting, like it, it's it's kind of bizarre that it's an alternative history. So clearly, just to be clear, these things did not happen. But it is based on stuff that actually did happen, which I find fascinating and it, right. and genuinely informative. So that in some ways, that was the greatest value added, I think, for this show for me. Yes, although, and I, I think I'll probably talk about this more. I feel like they did something more radical than they even realize. Hmm. Go on. Like putting women in the space program. Yeah. I think would have been a huge fucking deal for women. And and I think that it would have made a huge difference in STEM, you know, uh, in, in the pipelines that we have. Dan, don't shake your head at me. I, like, there's the scene where they are walking to get on the shuttle. You know, Ed and Molly and Sedge. Right, right, yeah, yeah. And there's all it's, those it's women. This, it's, the, it's the right stuff slash Armageddon scene where, like, you know, everyone's applauding and stuff. Yeah, Right. Yeah. And it's all the women of NASA. Right. No, and I like I like realizes that scene. this, you know, he, he sort of pushes Molly to the front and Molly even Molly front. realizes it. I think Molly up to I mean, Molly Cobb is the most fascinating character on this show, because oh, I yeah. think up until that moment, it honestly did not seem to occur to her that this was actually a big freaking deal. So how much of a big deal is it, Dan? I cried watching <laughs> that both times. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I. I also was not like a huge, as I think you know, maybe everyone who follows me in any other, you know, medium knows I'm not a huge Hillary fan. Mm. But when she accepted the nomination, I cried then too. Mm. Because actually what happened is I thought of my mom. And like what this would have meant to her. Right. And so the reason I was shaking my head was not so much that I disagree with you, but I guess my question is, in the end, what this history, what this alternative history does is sort of accelerate things by about a decade. Right, yeah. because by 1978, NASA's like, okay, we've got to have women astronauts, and that's when Sally Ride enters the program, and so on and so forth. Basically, they've gone from like 1970 to 1978, or it, it, 1978. Except also, ERA gets passed. Yes. Oh, spoiler alert. Jeez. Sorry. Okay. No, well, no. I mean, it, no. People no, no, are no. Listening, they're, 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 know I, this, and yes, there's like other stuff about why it got passed, but it would have been a huge fucking deal. That's no, and that's a more, more interesting question, which is, and again, this is the most 
fascinating part of the show for me, which is... And you can argue, I assume that one of the reasons the ERA got, ERA got passed is because women were in the space program and there was this like huge like feminist kind of like moment. We'll get to that in a little bit because there's also some like corrupt pork barrel politics. I know, I know, I know, there. but... But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think you're... No, I think... It, let me this way. I agree with you that it makes sense that in a world in which the 70s begin rather than end with women participating in the space program, yeah, I think you know, as you point out, representation matters. So presumably there would be ripple effects across society. And we did, we see some of them as, as the show goes on. And, and also I think it makes a difference because women get involved in the space program in 1978 at a time when, yeah, our attention is kind of passed on mm-hmm. the space program, right? Yeah, yeah. That's so true. for women to get involved at the height of space, like mania, right. you know, and to be there right there with like the heroes... Well, and, also, and and also, I won't spoil it, but these ladies become heroes too in yes. pretty significant ways. Well, I, the other, I mean, the other obvious, the other interesting thing about the show is that it suggests that had the Soviets landed on the moon first, it's not just the space race would have the space race would have continued for a lot longer. So, right. in in the actual history. The U.S. lands on the moon in in 1969. There are, I believe, four or five additional missions in which they the U.S. continues to go to the moon. The Soviets never go to the moon, and I want to say it was Apollo 15. I won't swear to this, but like I think that was the last mm-hmm. um, that was the last one. And then we we haven't gone back to the moon since. In this alternative history, things are different. Um, so they keep let, going, and yeah, like that. this, and the space program kind of like keeps being at top of mind. Right. Exactly. So anyway, I, we yes, we need to get moving. You know, okay. people in the Discord have asked for longer episodes. Congratulations, people in the Discord who asked for longer episodes. <laughs> okay. All right. This is going to so, be a longer episode. Moving on. Moving on to Act Two. Molly Cobb goes into space. So after Deke Slayton's th- real, by the way. Yes, I know. Oh, I know Deke Slayton's real. Yeah. Uh, oh, I didn't know. Oh, even I, I didn't know Deke Slayton was real. Oh yeah, 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 I mean he, he oh, appears. Yeah, Dan, at, even I knew. I'm sorry. He appears at <laughs> Apollo 13 and in the right stuff. Like, he, oh, that's right. Yeah, sorry. Yes. Okay. Go and ahead. if he appears in a movie, then he must be real, Anna. Okay. <laughs> if he appears in two movies, three, three movies, three yeah. other movies. There you go. <laughs> okay, so the NASA administrator tells Deke Slayton that Nixon has cooled on the idea of lady astronauts after the accident, so he can cut the program. Slayton appears to be pissed at his chain being yanked, and so therefore decides to go the opposite direction and publicly approve the remaining four women in the program to be astronauts. And he goes even one further than this, bumping Gordo Stevens from Apollo 15 and replacing him with the unsinkable Molly Cobb. The mission commander, Ed Baldwin, and Cobb butt heads a lot uh, during their training. Molly thinks Ed is sexist and patronizing, and I think she was right. Uh, Ed thinks Molly is not taking the training seriously, and I think he might be right too. Meanwhile, uh, NASA... At first. At first he's right. Mm. Hey, there's the there's the studying montage scene. Okay, yes, clearly but, but, meant to communicate that she's that she's she does. No, no, you're like, right. That's right. I forgot about that. Okay, no, leave this way. It's only all after- study montages scenes mean the same thing. <laughs> yes. Yes, but leave it this way. Ed's first assessment was correct. Molly was not. She was being an arrogant prick. Right. And I think it was an arrogant prick masked by insecurity, which is understandable given the situation. But like, it was an interesting spin on the character. Okay. Meanwhile, NASA scientists discover that there could be ice on the moon. By the way, in real life, there is ice on the moon. (laughs) I just need to add that point. That would have been really. 
really funny had they invented that. <laughs> it would have been. Um, which has the potential uh, for being turned into rocket fuel, so that's a big fucking deal. The Soviets also suffer a reverse in the space race as apparently one of their missions crashes on the moon, uh, killing whoever was on board. Meanwhile, in domestic politics, again, alternative history is starting to deviate from regular history. Chappaquiddick does not happen um, in the episode in, in the world of For All Mankind, and so therefore Nixon will be facing Ted Kennedy in the 1972 election. Uh, well, I liked where For All Mankind went following this decision, and indeed this is the thing that starts to really grab me. I do felt that the show kind of shortchanged why Deke decided to stick with the ladies. What say you on this? So... I think in the logic of the show, they are using Deke's uh, own failed ambitions as the reason. Right. Sort of why we should he add does that this. In, in real life and in the show, uh, Deke Slayton is grounded. He was one of the original Jiminy 7 astronauts, or Mercury 7 astronauts, but a doctor found an atrial fibrillation, I think. I Heart murmur. Heart murmur, basically. And so he was grounded and winds up actually being the head of the astronaut program. Right. So I think that that's maybe kind of where they're going as far as like the logic of mm -hmm. his decision goes, the emotional logic of his yeah. decision. I will say that this, I will have an opportunity to bring up one of my disappointments in the show, which is to show that you can be both a good person and fair and a sexist, mm. you know, like they sort of show that like with Ed and with Deke. Yeah. But I kind of wish they'd shown more sexism, actually, because I think there probably would have been more. I, yeah, I'm no, serious. No, no, no. I think that's a fair point. I th interestingly, yeah, I think, as we said, Ed is sexist and patronizing when, in dealing with Molly. and and But it, in some ways is more, a, like, more evolved, perhaps, than a 1970s, early 1970s astronaut would have been, I think. Would that yeah. Be I mean, these are, like, super macho dudes. Yeah. You know, and and it and yes, I can sort of see she, it, winning the respect, but also Molly does not at first win the respect. No, I would say also Molly. I, I, <laughs> so I, this, I think in some ways, for me, the most interesting aspect of this show is, and and correct me if I'm wrong. Like generally speaking, the first woman in X narrative in American history is almost always that the woman has to be like twice as good yes. and tw and twice as exceptional, but also plays within the rules and like, you know, essentially facilitates everyone, everyone else's emotional work. So like, it, it's like a, abundance of labor. And the interesting thing about Molly Cobb is that she ain't having that shit on this. Like she and is a prickly personality and is, is good clearly, but is not is not catering to the whole emotional aspect. Oh, and she's not feminine either. Yeah. I mean, we find out that she is straight, but Which they I actually was let that... I was surprised by that. Were you? I was going to ask you Where about Where I think it's a sh it shows the, the, you know, the bias of, of gender roles mm -hmm. and, and, and how we think about what people look like, right? Yeah. And what, how we classify behavior. Uh, it is cool how they do that reveal. And yes. Wayne is actually one of my favorite characters. <laughs> but Wayne yeah, is, I Wayne is Molly's husband, yeah. Wayne is Molly's husband. I think there would have been more sexism. I ex think this is a weird to say. I wish there was had been some sexual harassment, <laughs> but I just imagine that there would have been. Actually, I, I mean, like the sexual like, harassment. That actually would have been a good idea. That that entire that seems entirely plausible. And you know, yeah, I'm surprised right. That didn't I mean, yeah. it, it, it they did they couldn't they could have it not be one of the heroes, right? Right, but. Yeah. There were plenty just, of other, like, male astronaut pricks in the background, you know, throughout the first season. So like, I totally them. expected Gordo to hit on one of them. Yes, I was like, surprised And he winds that. up actually very specifically not yeah. doing that. Like, very much 
they're the ones he doesn't hit on. Yeah. You know, anyway, I just think it's interesting that in some ways this show is is marketed as and was conceived of as a utopian show mm. in a way. Like, and that's why Dan and I were talking earlier um, about whether or not it was Mad Men in space or West Wing in space. Mm-hmm. And I think the lack of sexual harassment right there <laughs> It's not admin in space. I have to say, it's fascinating to think that this is utopian space, given that one of the creators of it is Ron Moore, who is not But he said that. He said that. He said that he he was a huge, you know, space nut as a kid and envisioned this. Uh, In fact, there's a quote that I I was going to use in my very long, (laughs) you know, uh, story about the Mercury 13. But uh, he says at one point, most alternate history timelines are really dark and dystopian. And I wanted to do something different. So there you go. Let's move on. All right. We go to act three, ice climbing on the moon. Apollo 15 is orbiting the moon and they detect that the Shackleton crater, again, a real thing, uh, near the moon's (laughs) south pole, um, is likely to have a lot of ice. Uh, Baldwin, Ed Baldwin, argues that they should change their landing zone to near the crater as opposed to where they were originally going to land, which is a really big friggin' shift and, like, even Molly's a touch rattled by this notion. Uh, NASA, shedding its, quote, culture of caution, agrees. Molly and Ed land near the crater. After several days of unsuccessful digging for ice, they reject that culture even more, jerry-rigging a winch to have Molly rappel down the Shackleton crater wall. Uh, With her oxygen running extremely low, Molly finds some ice ice to bring home for analysis, eliciting her first real smile of the entire series, which was pretty cool. Um, While Ed and Molly bond on the moon, things on Earth are more tense. Uh, Ed's wife, Karen, plays hostess duties, but has a hard time dealing with Molly's husband, Wayne, uh, who is clearly wigging out uh, about the risks of the mission. After several false starts, the two finally uh, share their fears, which seems Pretty healthy for Karen, actually, uh, as well as Wayne. Less healthy is the decision to have uh, Danielle, the lone African-American woman astronaut, and her husband, an embittered infantryman who has just returned from Vietnam, meet with Gordo in the astronaut watering hole. Danny is just trying to get to know her mission commander for Apollo 18. What actually happens is that Gordo and Danielle's husband get into a pissing match about combat. Um, It ends badly. Meanwhile, in the real alternative world, as it were, uh, Nixon ends the Vietnam War early. Anna, that bar scene between Gordo, Danielle, and Danny's husband, who I'm sorry, his name escapes me at the moment, um, was excruciating because you knew it was going to go south, but how it was going to was not entirely clear. I'm not still sure it worked, however. I also think Gordo is an alcoholic. Uh, I'm interested <laughs> for your thoughts on this. Yes, I, I think Clayton is Danny's husband. Thank name. you. Okay, yes, Clayton. Yeah. And that scene was so excruciating when I did my second watch, I fast-forwarded through it. Oh, wow. And it, I'll just say now, this show is both watchable and unwatchable for me. <laughs> like there are some scenes of such high tension um and some and such discomfort that I like literally like have a hard time watching them. I thought the scene <sighs> Let me put it this way. What, what surprised me about the scene was actually not that it ended badly, but that Gordo was surprisingly, I, he never got racist, which I was frankly expecting to happen. Yeah. Um, and it was a little unusual. And I'm not sure, like, I guess my Again, quest- like the lack of, sex- lacks of sexism and lack of enough racism. Yeah. Like- <laughs> and like, he was surprisingly open about the fact that like, because Clay is incredibly embittered by Vietnam. He talks about throwing his medals as he leaves the base. And Gordo was actually surprisingly chill about that. I was not expecting that to be the case. 
the whole scene is is well done in that it is really uncomfortable. Right. Right. And then yet I left disappointed because also they don't do anything with it. I mean, yeah. spoiler alert, like it never comes back. And that's unusual in this show. Like this show is a very much a Chekhovian show. There's <laughs> a, like a, if, if they show it to you, it's okay. going to come back later. Good enough. But yeah, I, I thought, well done. And I, I think Clay doesn't get enough to do kind mm. of as, as an astronaut husband. Yeah. We see so much of Wayne, right? Um, we don't see as much of Clayton, who seems to have a really interesting story yeah. to tell. Yeah. As far as Gordo being an alcoholic, yeah. he sure drinks like one. <laughs> yes. I try not to diagnose others. Uh, only, only you can tell if you're an alcoholic. I will say, this is my opportunity to talk about Buzz Aldrin, who was a real-life astronaut, has a small part in the show, and was a real-life alcoholic, and was an alcoholic during his time at NASA. Whoa. Yeah, I know. And and struggled with um, depression during his time at NASA as well. So part of me, I knew this, and like seeing Gordo go into this, I was like, oh, they're going to do like a Buzz Aldrin thing. Like they're going to have him bottom out and then go, actually, I think he went to Betty Ford. Oh, wow. And I don't think they do anything with it. And they also didn't even reference Buzz. I mean, they could have at least done something with that because a lot of people don't know. Uh, He got sober in, he went to rehab in 1975. Oh, wow. Did not stay sober until 1978, which is a real life thing. That's a thing that happens. People often don't get it the first time through. Mm -hmm. Has been sober since then, which Hmm. is in fucking credible. You know, I always argue whenever I tell other people in the program, I think it's a much, much bigger achievement, honestly. (laughs) And this is what the statistic that I use of the people that have tried to go to the moon and succeeded. Like that's a high percentage. Yes. There are very few people that have gotten on a rocket and then not gotten to the moon. Right. A lot of those end in tragedy, of course, but it's still. It's still a pretty high percentage. Yeah, that's fair. Right. uh, Who get there. Yeah. Of the people who try to get sober and remain sober, that's a really small percentage. That's a deep point, Anna, I got to say. That's, I like that point. Okay. And we could have gotten recovery in space. Yeah. <laughs> I, think I also of- thought that might have been interesting, too. I kept on waiting for them to kind of maybe go there because there is a lot of drinking on the show and there does turn out to be drinking in space. Right. I think part of the problem... Oh, by the way, everyone would have super low tolerance in space. They don't say anything about that, but... Oh my understanding of the chemistry of it. I think part of the problem, which is both a strength and a weakness of the show, is that there are multiple flash forwards in the show. And the show will leap forward a couple of years at multiple times, which I actually think is useful because there are times where you just have to sort of speed up things. But it also means that they can like conveniently put aside plot points that they're not Mm -hmm. entirely sure how they're going to deal with. Yeah. Let us move on. All right. Act four, Saturn goes boom. So we fast forward two years, as we said, and the U.S. now has a permanent moon base named Jamestown near Shackleton Crater. I just uh, want to point out, I don't know if that's like the really best name. I mean, I understand. <laughs> it is not shocking in the 1970s that they would have named it Jamestown. I'm just okay, going to say right. that's entirely like believable. Okay, you're right. You're right. Uh, a three-person crew of Ed, Gordo, and Danny are manning it. It is resupplied by a series of unmanned rockets. The replacement crew is supposed to launch on Apollo 23, but the Saturn V rocket explodes on the gantry, killing 11 technicians. The astronauts manage to survive because there's like an ejection mechanism. So that means that Ed, Gordo, and Danny will be at Jamestown for a spell. 60 days later, uh, the Soviets established their own moon base named Zvezda, uh, also located near Shackleton, eight miles from Jamestown. 
The FBI takes advantage of the crass to investigate security at Johnson Space Center. Uh, this stresses out the gay members of NASA, namely astronaut uh, Ellen Waverly, engineer Larry Wilson, and for good reason, because the FBI is clearly on a witch hunt of one kind or another, and so they're apparently going to target homosexuals. On alternate history Earth, Ted Kennedy defeats Nixon in 1972 uh, and then pardons him for Watergate in 1974. The Equal Rights Amendment is ratified, going over the top in Illinois, because in no small part the Republican governor of Illinois winds up endorsing the ERA because NASA has moved one of their contracts from a Colorado Springs-based firm to one in Illinois, something that Werner von Braun discovers in uh, his report. So, Anna, I laughed pretty hard at the fictional phone call between Ted Kennedy and Nixon. Did you? And also an additional question, which is, we have never really gotten an answer, which is premised this, this entire show, as to why anyone would put missiles on the moon. Okay. Yeah. So first question first. Yeah. Yes, that was super funny. Um, <laughs> Nixon is pretty salty about being pardoned for some reason. What the fuck um, are you doing, like, Ted? Why, why are you pardoning me? Why are you pardoning I, me? I also thought it was funny that they, you know, nixed Chappaquiddick, but then did have him have this other scandal. So, like, it's still Ted Kennedy, still Ted Kennedy, right? Yeah, so like, in later episodes, <laughs> there's a, a, a scandal in, in which Ted Kennedy right. has, had, has an affair with Mary Jo Kopechny, who is the yeah. girl who dies in Chappaquiddick. Right, Ted Kennedy's good at Ted Kennedy. Yes. And as far as Missiles on the Moon, I think there is an unresolved why to the whole series, you know? Mm. And I think that's the problem when you have people who are space buffs make a space movie. And, of course, they're going to be the ones that make the space movie, but I think there are people who just are like, of course you want to go into space. Right. Right? Of course. Like, that's what we're going to do. And you, you climb the mountain because it's there. Yeah. And then there are people more like me who are like, it's really cool, but... Why? <laughs> well, this but, is slightly different. Like, I, I, I guess I consider myself I know, a space I'm, buff. I'm, 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 yes, I, I should not too much question the whole foundations, because whatever, it's we do it. Mm -hmm. And also, I will say this, they don't emphasize it, but it's sprinkled around the edges of the show, is that not only do they move up sort of social history right. by eight or ten years, they move up technology. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, video phones, cell phones, other kinds of stuff they mention occasionally. Hmm come up earlier than they do hmm. in the real world, which is one of the benefits. You know, we got Tang, we get Velcro, we get <laughs> cell phones, I guess. Also, VHS tapes is mentioned. Yes, which, which did exist at the time. So I was, <laughs> one, of the, one of the more charming elements of the, the plot, which is an episode after this, is the Jamestown base residents, basically the owner of the entertainment they have, is to watch six episodes of the Bob Newhart show on VHS. And actually, I think the funniest scene is, is literally where you, they're like trying to fix this, like what looks like a really vital piece of equipment. And it's clear all Danny is trying to do is unwind the VHS tape that has gotten snangle, tangled in the, the VCR and try to fix yeah. it. And you and I are at least are old enough to remember that exact yeah. thing happening. To get back to missiles. Yes, yes. that was your original question. Yeah. And the one that is a, is probably a better one for even space buffs. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, it's basically because it, it, it is interesting in this show, the degree to which dick measuring controls history. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> well, let me put it this way. So there, there is... The, the, that, like, that it's just... It's, I shouldn't say it. It's Cold, cold War. What was the Cold War bot? There is... No, let me put it this way. The only <laughs> argument you would have for putting missiles on the moon is if you wanted to fire them at someone else trying to land on the moon. 
that's an entirely yeah, I mean like if you're trying to like prevent anyone else from landing on the moon that well, in theory would be something you could yeah, do I although guess, that would be I a violation they, I have to point out this is a violation of the International Space Treaty the Outer Space Treaty it would be a violation okay. of it yeah or I think the moon uh, yeah. um, I do think they mentioned at one point that you could target the earth they say that but that doesn't make any goddamn sense to me i'm sorry like if you're gonna launch missiles doing it from the moon is is really really far away and energy intensive and not necessarily the most efficient way to to target Yeah. also like if you launch it from the moon and you have some decent radar you're going to be able to presumably detect the damn thing and and just like the physics of it seem off too like yeah yeah, no i don't know and and this is a place where i think the show sort of comments on itself unintentionally (laughs) which is that we wind up doing all this shit to compete with the soviets for no good reason I mean, I guess... I'll talk about this a little bit. There is a reason, but you're right. It's not... Let me put this way. It's not a material... There's no material logic to it. It's not like, you know, if you ask a military person, do we get a strategic advantage by having missiles on the moon? They're probably going to say no. Um, Right. But there are... It's all all psychological. And what I'm talking about is the stuff, the psychological stuff, right? Yes, yes, yes. Missile on the moon because they have a missile on the moon, and that's a psychological thing. Women on the moon because they have a woman on the moon. And while I would say that's awesome and you should do that... The reasoning behind it is PR and not strategic. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. If although PR can be kind of well, this gets to the, have its yeah, own yeah, strategic yeah. value. Da 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 da. This actually kind of bleeds. And into I think next we have now uh, we have now wrapped up the plot. Yes. So do you know what comes next? I believe I'm aware, Houston. Dan. Anna. Is there IR in this show? That's affirmative, Anna. Uh, we are a go for IR <laughs> in these episodes. So I think there are, there are sort of three elements of IR that are that are pretty interesting and explored in, in these episodes, not consciously, but unconsciously. The first is what we would call prospect theory. So prospect theory is a, a sort of theory of psychological decision-making uh, popularized by Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky. That basically, for, for our concerns, what prospect theory argues is that if you see yourself operating in a world of gain, you are more likely to act in a risk-averse fashion. Whereas if you suddenly are hit with a sudden reverse and you're operating in a world of loss, you are willing to take more risk-loving actions. You will gamble for resurrection, as you were. Hmm. And that is clearly what NASA does in For All Mankind. We see NASA making decisions throughout the first season that, as someone who is like familiar with the real world, would be like, "Holy shit, you're doing what right now?" You know, like the whole going to Shackleton thing is one of the places where I was like, "Yeah, yeah. I don't know." And then like, in the, beyond the episodes that we're talking about, the sort of rescue attempt in terms of, oh god, of, which was just <laughs> like there's a rescue attempt in which I, they try to send this a, is, a rocket okay, to take care of that. Fast forward for a little bit if you haven't seen the, the whole first season, but like. I actually got excited because I was like, oh, they're going to have a, there's going to be a show where they sacrifice people for the greater good. Oh my God. We're going to have an American TV show where a good character, a character that we like mm-hmm. makes the decision to leave someone behind. Nope. No, but uh, anyway, <laughs> needless to say, I mean, and they, to be fair, they're actually explicitly talking about this. They talk about the culture of caution. That's sort yep. of the classic political line about why, why NASA loses the race. And so as a result, they are much less cautious over right. the arc of the, the show. I will say this also did leave, lead to my favorite moment in the entire first season. And again, if you haven't seen the last episode of the first season, don't watch this or don't you know, fast forward 30 seconds. But it's when Margot, you know, dealing with the 
the wimpy NASA commander basically says, you can either stand here or support me or you can go fuck right off. At which I, <laughs> I laughed. I, I, that's the only thing I actually rewound to watch a second time because like I loved that scene. It was a well-earned character moment for, for Margo, who we haven't really talked about yet. But like I, I really loved that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, the second element of IR, and this goes to your point about the sort of psychology, is this basically the idea that some great power politics is about competition not for material resources, but for prestige. And that is entirely what the space race was about. There is a fantastic article uh, published in the journal International Organization by two colleagues of mine, Paul Musgrave and Daniel Nexon, about this, you know, the space race as a prestige race. And in some ways, I think for all mankind takes that idea and pumps it full of steroids. Because as you say, the reason why the U.S. in the show sends a woman in space and then to the moon is because the Soviets have done it. And so it's this idea that, you know, you have to match accomplishment with accomplishment. um, and, And it's why the U.S. winds up putting a permanent base on the moon, um, such as it were. And so that was all really interesting. The final IR point is one that we don't talk about that much now. Uh, or we don't talk, haven't talked about much in our lifetimes because we're primarily used to a bipolar or hegemonic distribution of power. But it's the argument that a lot of economic historians have made that essentially there is a relationship between innovation and great power competition, which is the idea that in a world in which there is a single all-powerful superpower, innovation might be retarded. Um, Mm. And the reason for that is that innovation within the hegemonic actor won't necessarily be incentivized because they don't have to worry. They're already the most powerful actor in the world. And so we've seen this in places like Rome, where technological innovation actually wasn't all that uh, rapid because Rome was the hegemon in its neighborhood. It didn't really feel the need for it. Whereas if you take a look at, let's say, 16th century Europe, because it was so (laughs) politically decentralized... States couldn't afford not to innovate because it could be that their neighbor was going to do it instead. And so as a result, they wound up having to adapt and and take every sort of new technological innovation. Indeed, the countries that chose not to do this, like think Japan uh, for three centuries when they pursued isolation or Russia during the 19th century, suffered uh, egregiously. And by the way, when I say innovation, I'm not just talking about technological innovation. I'm also talking about social innovation. So the idea that yes, we should have the best people go into space rather than just the best white men. That's a social mm-hmm. innovation. And so this is something that actually, you know, I, seems... I feel like you're talking about a version of what a lot of us probably are aware of what happens at wartime. Yes. Which a lot of innovation happens. No, that's exactly right? correct. Yes, yes. Which is, and, yeah. and we see this in terms of the U.S. military, in terms of tolerance for various kinds of things. And I, th- I think there's like... Most of the histories of, for example, gays in the military show that during wartime, it's tolerated much more than during peacetime because in wartime they need the soldiers. Yes. So I have a few IR questions, Dan. Okay, go ahead. One of them is a quote from an actual Apollo astronaut. He's consulting on this series. I cannot remember his name, but he's told someone in an interview, during the Apollo program, we didn't think much about the Soviet Union. What do you make of that? Uh, <laughs> so, okay, I, I, you know, he's an Apollo astronaut. I am. I only have a sort of passing familiarity with the, the space program, but I would say the following, which is that technically might be accurate because once it was clear that the Americans were going to win the space race, yeah, they didn't have to worry about the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union, the Soviet Union fell behind in the space race before Apollo Eleven. That's the, in some ways, the, the the real alternative history thing is the idea that the Soviets actually would have landed on the moon because it was clear that their own program 
was faltering pretty badly by that point. They didn't have the rockets. They didn't have the manpower. Um, they didn't have the technical know-how. So there is a degree to which that is true. That said, was it important that the United States be the first to the moon? You're fucking goddamn right. It was important that the United States maybe be the this first particular to the moon. astronaut just didn't think about it. Yeah, yeah. There's another alternate point in the show, I think, which is the Soviet Union seems much more competent than they turned out to have been. Yeah, although I mean. Again, it is worth pointing out. Like they they do have they do get to the moon first. They do have their own innovations. Like right, you know. but like it's like this way. What the, this is an area where I do think the show gets it right because in some ways what they are doing is and we have to, in international relations there's a lot of talk about Sputnik moments. And Sputnik moments are when a power that you don't think has a particular capacity, it turns out, does have the capacity. Mm -hmm. And it was obviously crystallized by the Soviets actually launching a satellite into space. And in some ways, that's what you see in, in the show For All Mankind, which is they didn't think the Soviets would actually be able to do this. And that causes the U.S. to double down in terms of its efforts and, right. and try to catch up. I do think... You know, the thing about when it, when it comes to Soviet technology is that it's lagging, it's lagging, it's lagging, and then inevitably they pull off a high-risk maneuver that actually surprises people. So it doesn't seem that shocking that that's the way they twist it. Um, but you're right. Like, in, in the real world, the Soviet space... Soviets were second and falling dramatically behind during the arc of the Apollo program. I think that is a safe way of putting it. Yeah, and then my other quote is from uh, the fictional version of uh, Werner von Braun, which is he tells Margot, who again, we probably should have talked about more, yeah. every political system is flawed and every bureaucracy is corrupt. So I'm willing to give him an honorary doctorate in political science. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's pretty accurate. I mean... Live it this way. That's the world's shortest dissertation. So, so all right. So live this way. If, if that was his, if that was his proposal for a dissertation, I would come back with the following point, which is corruption is not a discrete category. It's not yes or no. There are degrees of corruption, and generally speaking, less corrupt is probably better. And so, yes, there is corruption usually in even democratic bureaucracies, but usually that corruption is slightly more observable and also slightly more constrained. Hmm. And then I just want to say that I think that the Werner von Braun sort of arc, I mean, I actually really, I thought it was one of the strongest things in the series when I think I guess it's in the second or third episode that they sucker punch him by revealing right. his Nazi affiliations live. Which, was, by the way, were, were clearly well known at the time. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah no, it wasn't, it a, wasn't secret. a secret. <laughs> he sort of makes this you know, argument to, to Margot uh, that you know her father... Mm -hmm. He doesn't make the argument. He actually is very subtle. Right. He tells her that his, her father was involved in the Manhattan Project right. and that he suffered terribly because of it. He had this enormous guilt that caused psychological issues for him, mm. made him you know, cut off and, and emotionally numb, all that. And um, I don't. And he does not just draw the um, parallel himself. She actually does about saying, like, these are not the she to deny it. Right. She's like, these are not the same. Same thing, yeah. I thought, wow, this would be an interesting question to ask about the space program in general. Mm -hmm. Like, what kind of sacrifices are okay? Or compromises, because it is... Or compromises. What, what yeah, is, that's right. Compromise, is, not sacrifice. Because to it's be a clear, compromise. what is true of both the Soviet and the U.S. space programs is that they the jumpstart for both of them came from German scientists, from captured Nazi scientists. Yeah. Um, and so th that is accurate. Um, and so that that is uh, a legitimately interesting point. And I think in moving on, even like, you know, the, Margot compromises her own morals. 
right? Like, obviously, right. being a war criminal and then blackmailing someone, those are two Right, so to be things. clear, and this is a later episode. <laughs> oh, no, this is one of the episodes in the show. It's actually an episode, yeah. Yeah, Margot, uh, armed with the information that the reason that the, the accident, the, the, the Saturn V explosion occurred, was because of some uh, dodgy contracting, basically says, I'm going to go public with this unless you make me a mission commander. And she'd been thwarted in that aim previously. She gets to be a mission commander. And you know what? Good for everyone for that. Because she's actually good at it. Yes, she is. I don't know. It's just sort of, and not too much further thought on that. It's just sort of interesting to me that that's not a question that gets asked about the space program in general, Mm -hmm. like in other areas besides Von Braun. But I think that's enough. I I think that's enough, which means we need to go to our next important question. So, Anna, I have a question. Yes, Dan. Is there a critique of capitalism in these episodes? Well, Dan. I'm not sure if there's capitalism in these episodes, which is to say, no one talks about money. No one talks about class. I mean, it's there. It, in, in clap, capitalism is there. We, we're soaking in it. It's always there. And there's always, you know, information to be found. There is the corruption it. in the contracting process. That is And there is the correction yeah. in, the, in the contracting process. Yeah. But, you know, I really thought we might get an equal pay argument at some point. <laughs> <laughs> like, it seems like it would come up. You know, <laughs> look at this way. I have no. I have every confidence that in this war, in this alternative history, the lady astronauts are not being paid as much as the men. I would assume that would be the case. And I found that just sort of interesting. That's and to me, it reminded me a little bit of of what makes this utopian mm-hmm. is that on that front, there is actually no struggle. Yeah, like everyone we meet is middle class or above, pretty much, right? right. Um, except for Aleda, and. It, and that is also kind of off to the side and her father is off to the side. I mean, I guess I could probably make something out of that. But the main thing I got interested in was like, wow, like no one talks about money, money or, or consumer. Well, the one, so the one lower class or, character or, you could argue was Pam, the, the bartender, who is the, also yes. is the secret lover of Ellen. Yeah. Yeah. But I, for the most part, I thought it was just interesting that like it was sort of this frictionless yeah. market. <laughs> I mean, I get, you know, in like, Houston. Let me put it this way. I guess the way I would put it is I, I think you're correct on this. I, I don't begrudge a show that like there's I mean, only so to, many there's only so many you things you can take engage on. With, I agree. Yeah, you yeah. don't have to engage with every big thing that there right. is in the universe to make a good show. Right. I just thought it was sort of interesting. And to yeah. me, it was a way of like connecting this show back to Star Trek. <laughs> 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 Which Ron Moore, of course, worked on right. Deep Space Nine. So. Anyway, and one of the, you know, well-remarked-upon things in Star Trek is, like, it's a culture of plenty. Yes. You know, there's, like... And a culture without, really, racial divides in any way whatsoever. Anyway, we've already talked about the big ideas. Yes. But we're going to talk about them again, (laughs) more specifically. We're going to talk about the Iran political economy themes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Do you have any thoughts about the themes... Uh, that come to the surface. The only theme I thought was interesting, which you're going to talk about as well, but was was the myriad ways in which this show tried to introduce therapy or quasi-therapy into the conversation. So, like, you know, this happens mostly in in the episodes beyond the ones we've talked about, but what's striking, it, it does happen in the one we talk about in the form of the conversations between Wayne and Karen, who are incredibly stressed out, understandably so, because they're their their spouses are in space and it's really freaking risky. What's interesting is that is that it's Wayne who is obviously simultaneously wigging out more about it, but also appears to have coping mechanisms that are far more robust than Karen. Karen's coping mechanisms are 
I will adhere to rigid gender hierarchies as, as <laughs> tightly as possible un- until control. I- it's yeah. like, actually, I, you know, in, in, from my experience right. in therapy, like I think that's what a therapist would say is that she's just she's going for any kind of structure that she right. can. Which, to be fair, I, just it's, roles. I mean, it, 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 I, I don't totally mean to, I don't mean to belittle it. Normal, like, I understand normal it. human response. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I, yeah. I have to say, one of the things I thought was interesting was that that was the most interesting gender component of me for the show is that Wayne as a guy. Because he was freaked out, felt like he was entirely at liberty to talk about freaking out to Karen, and it was it was I got, I, I got uncomfortable in that scene. Yes, and, and it was it was like this simultaneous like I had two reactions. The first is Wayne is right, but the second is Wayne. If you gave a shit about anyone else besides yourself, you would realize that Karen is the last person you want to reveal these things to. Like you know, there, there's a delicate way of doing this and a less delicate. Or way. hey, I mean, I don't want to make this joke, but like no means no. Like I mean, don't <laughs> like if she tells you she doesn't want to talk about right. it. No, I can't. Don't talk about exactly. it. It's like, <laughs> the weird thing is, is that for it, like Wayne is clearly treated in the show as sort of beta male is not exactly fair, but like he's. No, he, I think he's treated like, well, his first line, I believe, is I've always thought of myself as a lesbian. There, yes, that was so. Yes. So there we go. <laughs> but the point is, is that like it, what's interesting is that as a man, he winds up being able to art- he feels yep. a freedom to articulate things that Karen never would have felt at the start of the show. And that I did find interesting. But there are other yes. forms of therapy in the in the the actual therapy that Gorda undergoes. I can't remember if there's a talk oh like the there's a suggestion of of talking to a priest at one point, you know, like it's clear that therapy is a good thing in general. And I would say to just sort of build on that idea, uh, the theme that I kept thinking about was emotional labor and who does it. Yeah. Who is responsible for doing emotional labor in a relationship or in a society? And the therapy-ish conversation that I'd point out is the one that Molly and Ed have hmm. after they go, they land on the moon, I think before they actually discover ice. Yeah, that's correct. Where Molly is like, face it, we're both pricks. Mm-hmm. But look, Magellan and Columbus were pricks too, and the world needs pricks. And I was, to, in order to like do important yeah. things and... I guess it's a period detail that she used Magellan and Columbus. Like, I personally, not sure those are the best. I mean, you could say they're egotistical pricks, but I don't know if it's, if it's great to hold them up as examples of humanity, moving humanity It is entirely era-accurate for them to, to do that. But It all- is true that it is entirely era-accurate, but, like, the genocide of a whole, yeah. you know— yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, would, but I would. The other thing I would add is that in some ways, this the other interesting thing that's on the other side. Oh, there's discovered America genocide. Mm. Okay. But what struck me about this that that conversation was that it was easier for Ed and Molly to bond than it was for Karen and and Wayne. That precisely, I, I mean, and Molly's characterization was correct because they were both pricks because they were both driven by the same thing. It made it easier for them to talk about it. But it was still a therapy-ish moment. Yeah. Ed cries. Over his relationship with his son, he does. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go rewind oh later, it. later. No, not in that scene. Though. No. Oh, in that scene. No, in that cry? scene. Oh, that's right. That's right. Because he talks about he can't be a father. He's a, he's a bad father. That's right. Yeah, I remember that now. He talks about being yeah. a bad father, and yeah. he cries. And the ability to cry in that situation is pretty. Ex- I mean, it's it says something about their relationship, yeah. really. Yeah. And I do think the show is kind of bleeth in the way that it scrambles the gender on the emotional labor thing. Mm-hmm. Like they just sort of flip it around sometimes. Like that's yeah. the Wayne thing is they like, well, let's make him sort of like a woman. Right. You know, yeah. let's make him like kind of feminized. Because like Karen does a whole shit ton of emotional labor. <laughs> like yes. just, a, I mean, she is doing it for the house. 
It's right. just that, and she can barely tolerate it. Like that's what actually winds up happening is that she has she is doing so much emotional labor. That scene where she talks to Ed and and keeps from him, yeah, that their son has gotten caught blowing up school toilets with cherry bombs. Mm-hmm. She is taking so much on herself. Yeah. So much. Well, and then she takes even you know? more in a subsequent episode, as we know. But yes, but of I would course. say actually, so I, the thing that struck me as interesting, actually, in, in some ways, this might be the Mary Sue problem, as it were, in in sci-fi, because Tracy, who is Gordo's wife, struck me. As, this was also interesting about her because she, there's an early episode about her in which it's suggested that she's preceding the astronaut program because Nixon wants her, not because she's necessarily good enough. But by the yeah. time, like in the later half of the season, it's clear she's. A, good enough, but B, she winds up literally dual-hatting, simultaneously being the role of an astronaut, but also assuming the role of an astronaut's wife when, you know, in terms of helping Karen and so on and so forth. And I was I was legitimately impressed at how she handled all that emotional labor. It was yeah. not easy, and she actually did it very well, and it was, that was striking to me. And then, of course, there's Danny. Yes. <laughs> who breaks her fucking arm. Yeah. Like, I almost got out of my chair, seat, sofa, whatever it is I was doing, to be like, what? <laughs> For Gordo? Really? Gordo? <laughs> this w- I think this was a lapse by the show. And I think they could have made that moment work. But to make that moment work, you have to believe that Gordo... Gordo, and- the guy who was a dick to her husband? Right, but like they've been on the moon now for like six months. Like, it- let me this way. If they had made it so that somehow Gordo and Danny had really bonded during their time on the moon. And I think that would have been conceivable. I think you could have done that, but they didn't. And so as a result, it winds up being mis- it, it winds up being African American woman takes it upon herself to do the hard work. And of course, like that she is a great actress yeah. and I believed that she would do that. Yes. Like it wasn't that like I was like, you know, oh well, this comes out of nowhere. No, no I believed that she would do that. Yeah. It's just, come on, don't, don't do that. <laughs> like, Gordo no, does not deserve this. And it was fr- oh, it was also- Gordo should, Gordo should never fly again. You don't understand. Yes. Like, he had a psychotic episode no, with- on the surface of the moon. What was- you should keep him home. What was- and also what was frustrating <laughs> about that was, A, Danny is the one who keeps pointing out, uh, Gordo's not right, and Ed's the one who's not. Yeah. And second, Ed, fine. Ed to his credit. Give him a bottle of liquor. Right. Like, let him, let him just cry, you know, whatever. But also, Ed to his <laughs> credit says danny you were right i was wrong about yes. this i'm gonna make you the commander of the the mission going right. back like ed actually like you know ed might have been sexist but he eventually like he's competent and realizes okay yeah. danny was right if it had just done that i would have been fine the, the I, I have to admit I and i would have thought that's a plot twist in and of itself yes right? i thought that was a good plot twist and then suddenly danny and, breaking her arm and yeah and then because spoiler alert gordo doesn't really do a lot of space things after this anyway <laughs> Like, I, it just, it's just, come on. Don't, Danny deserved better. There That's what I want yes, to say. Yes, I think we were in Danny agreement that Danny deserved, deserved better. better. Yeah. yeah. So, and then just to, to close this out on emotional labor, I would say that in general, as I said earlier, I don't think the show kind of reckons enough with the changes that would be wrought by having women be part of that first class of astronauts. Mm. That I think that it would have been much more of a pivot point for American culture than they're showing. You know, because also, I think we can agree, the Equal Rights Amendment getting passed. Like, there would be an amendment to the Constitution Mm -hmm. outlying gender discrimination, which does not exist at the moment. Right. Right? Big deal. Yeah, Yeah, I would assume so. (laughs) Also, I think you would have an interesting conversation about reproductive rights if you had female astronauts right away. And you had the ERA. Hmm. And you had women talking about doing men's work all over the place. I wonder if you would have gotten a maybe a more robust Roe decision 
if people who don't know, Roe is a very so-so. It's not... Legally, it's not a great decision. Legally, it's not a great decision. Yeah. And I don't know. I just feel like... I, I just feel like they don't... They don't reckon with all the changes that I think they... It, if this alternate history had happened, just the female part, just the part about women being part of the that first class of astronauts. And you were shaking your head. I know you disagree with me on this, but like... It's not that I disagree. I guess I question about the magnitude of it, but I grant you that it, it, it very well could have. And I, I, in some ways, this might be, though, where, the, as you say, the show is utopian, and I think this was one of the areas where I thought it was a little too utopian in terms of like... And, I, and actually, you should say, the changes might not have been all positive. I right. mean, there could have been. You could actually also have had... We could have had Ronald Reagan like be much more of an asshole than he was and we you could have had maybe the the no road decision maybe yeah. like there is a huge backlash right. but it, i just think it i just think it would have been much more like i just it, i think the thing that i am definitely saying <laughs> is there would have been a bigger impact to the culture at large that's possible I, I, if nothing else the show is counterintuitive in in suggesting that had the soviets gotten the first to the moon maybe some changes would have happened that actually would have been better for us here on in the united this states this is true I also want to add just one last thing on emotional labor mm-hmm. and this show, which is Margot, I think, is a not just a, I, I wrote in the script a bit of a stereotype. I think she's kind of unfortunately a stereotype, like the career driven woman who can't who doesn't want to have kids and who's just like emotionally cut off. She has no boyfriend. She has no social life apart from playing very good jazz. Which we never see her do again. And also, kind of uh, that's disappointing, but also mentoring. And this was another subplot that I wasn't quite, I'm sure they're. Maybe this will develop. Yeah, they're setting two. something up. Yeah. I know, but like, there's there's a whole subplot running through the entire first season about a, a Mexican immigrant and his daughter who winds up getting tutored by Margot uh, because she's good at, you know, math and engineering, and you know, is really inspired by that. And I I kind of get why they were doing it. I got to tell you, I'm not sure how well it really worked. Do, can we do spoiler for the last episode with that? How that winds up? Uh, for the last episode, I guess. I, well, you know what? Let's let's punt on that. We'll talk about it for when we talk about season two, I guess. Okay, fine. All right. Well, Dan, we are done talking about themes. We're done talking about emotional labor. Oh, wait, what's that I hear? Ping, ping. I think it's pieces of a rocket. <laughs> I think a rocket has blown up in space. Oh, no. And we're being hit by its debris. Yes, let us go through the debris field, Dan. What do you have left to say about For All Mankind that we haven't said already? I have a few things. First, how to put this, you know, to, to as you talked about the West Wing in space, to quote with the West Wing or paraphrase the West Wing, Wayne's paintings, boy, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not really sure they worked. But also, like, again, talking about the gender thing, on what fucking planet would Wayne paint Karen's nightmare and then give it to Karen and think that would make things better. Yeah, you're right. I, that I actually, no I also, goddamn sense whatsoever. So I, was, I assumed that the reveal yeah. of that would be that like she conquers the panther, that it wouldn't be a direct re- representation of her dream, it, but rather Wayne would have painted a version of the yeah. dream that would be Resol- that was bad writing. I just, I like, there's, it, it made no emotional sense. It made no, like, it was just a bad decision. I, I, I wasn't a big fan of that. Uh, also, yes. it did kind of seem ludicrous to me that NASA, which is an organization that particularly during this period is obsessed with PR, would not have coached Wayne for his role any better. I mean, I grant you Wayne would have been a tough pupil to coach, but like the idea that like NASA wouldn't have thought about this strikes me as so ridiculous that, that, that again, it was a, a weakness. And, then f- and, and yeah. maybe found out about his drug use. Yeah, that's... <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. Although I get the idea that like they were in a hard place there because really Molly Cobb would have been the perfect person yes. to do. So like you got to do with what you can work with. You you go with the astronaut yeah. spouses that you have, as it were. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and and then finally this I, I, this one really mystifies me, which is. How do you show Jamestown base with no American flags? There totally would have been an American flag there. Um, I mean, this is just bullshit. They even talk about flags if memory serves in the next episode, in episode seven. But like one of the ways in which countries in which they try to claim territory will do so is by planting flags. And clearly that's at least to some extent what they should have done there. And I was sort of surprised you didn't see it. All right, Anna, what about my, you? My, my turn through the debris field. Yes. I'll just say not enough Texas. <laughs> the thing is supposedly said in Houston, we just don't see enough Texas for my mind. I, I will say about Wayne's paintings, the concert posters that they show him having yeah. painted do seem really cool. Yeah, those were real, actually. Like, I like that. Yeah. And also he does mention having like gone to Austin like after he dropped out of medical school, right. which I was like, of course. That's where course one goes. If of course, you, yeah. all, the, all, the, all the hippies would come to Austin. Mm-hmm. There is a tiny little scene that made me laugh. Ed, super upset about the death of Patty in the training accident, is throwing about to throw furniture, and Karen says, go mow the lawn. <laughs> and then he does. <laughs> and to be clear, not and a sexual then, metaphor. Sorry. I could. No, he just, he just goes to mow the lawn. Like, she says it, and then you hear the motor start yeah. up, and it's the middle of the night. Yeah. Okay, fine. Like I sort of alluded to earlier, apparently there's no drug testing. Yeah, NASA does a really poor job of, like, <laughs> vetting these astronauts. That was the, my primary takeaway from this from this show. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Mm. I, I said earlier, I don't think we see another female cosmonaut again, ever, on this show. No, not on the show. I, I'm, least, yeah. Yes. To give the show credit, I got so tense during some of these episodes. Like, I, during the ice episode, when Molly goes into Shackleton, Mm -hmm. I literally walked out of my own television room. (laughs) Because I didn't want to watch it if she died. Like, I was going to, I just stood next to the door in my own house, (laughs) (laughs) left the TV on in the television room, and listened to that scene play out. Oh, my God. I will say this. So, like, this wasn't in the episodes we we talked about in depth here, but like the last episode, I was like, okay, they've hooked the two up. Wait, oh yeah, they 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 almost kill Molly several right. times. Right, but with, like when they turn on the Saturn, like when they turn on Apollo twenty four, like checks its Saturn five rocket. I actually thought before this happened. Wait, they were trying to ignite the fuel. Don't you disattach, disattach yeah. the ships before you do this. This is not gonna. And then like it ends badly, and it was just like, yeah. But like, it, I will say that the show is really good because it's space of we're legitimately not sure if these people are going to survive. And that was well done. And because it's alternate history, yeah. like you are like in this realm of like, oh, it could be anybody, yeah. could anyone could go anytime. Yeah. As I mentioned before, I cried at the scene of Molly kind of leading the team through the halls of NASA with all the women of NASA cla- clapping. Yeah. There were kind of a few times when it was like, the women doing something that got me teary. Now, I may be in a teary place, but I do think that it's a sign of the show being very effective. No, I was... It, I, I had in, in how it sets up the emotions of these. I'm things. a man, so I can't cry on it. But I will admit that, right. like you know, there was a brief unless you're in where, space yes, exactly. with another with a very like very manly woman, man like woman. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but no, I was moved like when she was walking down and they were all applauding. There's that original shot of like all the women is like wearing the aviator sunglasses as test spot. That was a badass. Yeah, I photo. love that shot. Yeah, that was a good. Photo. Yeah. And my last thing mm-hmm. is very small. There is a scene in which Ed and Sedge. 
I don't think we ever find out his whole name, actually. <laughs> like, I'm sure we do, but it, they just call him Sedge. Yeah. Whatever. He's a disposable. He's a red shirt, basically. <laughs> um, there are red shirts on this show. They just don't wear red shirts. Right. All right, take Molly out to dinner right. to assure her, don't worry, your pretty little head. Don't worry, little lady. <laughs> we are going to be able to take care of you in space. And then she does a very cool, like, fuck you. I actually have more hours than you do, which is, again, actually would have been true. Yes, and it was true about the Mercury 13 astronauts or or the candidates as well, yes. Yeah, she'd flown more hours probably than they had in general. Probably not in jets. Right, exactly. That's correct. had probably flown more hours. Uh, And done training before them. She'd had more training than then. She actually sort of technically went through training twice. Anyway, so then they sort of awkward silence, and she goes, this baked potato is good. Because Sedge had remarked earlier that the baked potato was really delicious. Dan, how does a baked potato become particularly good? I don't know. A baked potato is the least, my least favorite of the like, ways in which you can prepare potatoes. So I don't, I do not understand this. And like, baked how could you prepare a baked potato in a way that you'd be like, oh, wow, this baked potato. The <laughs> only answer I have is if the baked potato has bacon in it, basically. <laughs> Uh, who knows? Yeah. It's a mystery. It's a small thing. I did have this moment of like, mm, the writers, what were they? Why did they go with baked potato? My only like, answer just, was like, how can we make this red shirt seem as white bread as possible? Let's have him praise the baked potato. <laughs> Let's have him praise a starch, Anna. That'll always work. Oh, that, there you go. It, it was, you know what? It was the, that or white bread. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they, they decided they, they do couldn't good have rolls him praise here, white Anna. bread. They do good rolls. <laughs> good bread. Okay, Anna, I believe we've finally uh, hit the end of the road. We've cleared the debris field. Uh, it's time to close out. A reminder to our patrons that we will... I am here to relieve you of duty. Oh, Dan. thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, or I guess actually the metaphor here would be someone else is coming in to officially relieve us of duty at this post. Right. So. But uh, before we go, we want to remind our patrons that uh, on Saturday, June 12th, we will be doing our AMA. We will both remember this time, I promise, and we look forward to that. Uh, we will also be recording soon our patrons-only episode of 28 Days Later. And our next episode will be a discussion of Naomi Alderman's The Power. Yes. If you want to be a patron or want to find out more about us in general, you can go to patreon.com slash space the nation. You can... As I said, become a patron. We have several different levels of patronage. Don't feel like you have to. We love doing this. We really do. <laughs> and they really, really do. And maybe I shouldn't tell people this, but it is great to be able to do it, which is what the money kind of allows us to yeah. do. Or it makes it sound better, at least. Yes. Thank you, Karen. We always have to thank Karen. Thank you, Karen. Uh, and thanks to the patrons who are, we already have. The Discord is amazing. Dan, you need to show up more there. Oh, okay. I didn't realize there was demands for that. I will I will start to do that. Okay. It's a cool community. And if you are thinking about becoming a patron, I would say that the Discord channel is of itself like a really good reason to become mm-hmm. a patron. And then I think that's about it. Until next time, Dan. Houston, keep this channel open for more. <laughs>